With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, last week, let's talk a little bit about the virtual minyan and, and how it connects also to Mikra Megillah. When I first wrote about the, the virtual minyan, people were very upset. Some people were upset. Some people were excited. Some people were upset. And the one... One of the responses that really surprised me with the, uh, you know, with how uh, how adamant it was that you should not have, you know, virtual minyan is not a good idea, it came from a, a conservative synagogue in Los Angeles. And, um, and I was surprised. I would say, okay, the Dafka would think, you know, that Orthodox synagogues would be against it, but conservative synagogues will be, you know, conservative will be okay with that. But apparently, the, the the great concern was about you know losing. Oh, why am I saying? Let me put this. Someone's uh, microphone is open. Yeah, um, I'm going to record to the to the cloud. So again, when when I brought up the issue of uh, the the virtual minyan, there were different there were different kind of objections. So some you know would be halachic objections. Uh, but for a lot of people, it was really a, a structural objection because they were concerned that that will take away people from their from the synagogues. So that that is a completely different issue about the, the fear that if we will allow people to have a uh, a virtual minyan, they will not come to the synagogue, and um, then has to be assessed on on the uh, from the perspective of how how do we. Uh, really connect to the community, right? There's such a great fear from social media and all that. But remember, we have to remember that uh, you know, even not in the not in the Jewish realm, social media is is mostly a retelling of interactions between real people. Even even those who sit at home and do their own, you know, bloggers, vloggers, whatever they are. If they will tell only about themselves with no relation to the outside world, at a certain point it will die out. People need connection, and they need physical connection. And actually, psychologists prove that, uh, I mean, they did the, uh, the studies that show that, yes, kids will, uh, will cling to their devices, but that is if you don't give them an option of physical contact. And the parents are as guilty here as the children are, because the parents, for them, it's comfortable... The kid doesn't bother me. Let them go to their room and be with their iPad or iPhone or whatever it is. It's safer than going outside, right? But if you took the time to go with the, to go with the child to an event, to a game, to be with friends, they would. Uh, the The facts show that children prefer prefer that hanging out with friends physically than being uh, at home alone on their uh, on their devices. It's just what the question of what opportunity do we give them. So the same we take this and apply it to the synagogue. <clears throat> the reason that people come or don't come to the synagogue is not because they have now, you know, a certain synagogue that's, that that uh, live streams the uh, the event or not. It's what sense of community they find in the synagogue. If you come, you come to shul and everybody sits in their own seat and they don't look at you, they don't know you, and they don't. 
uh, and, and you don't feel connected, then you will go less. If you feel connected either to the people or to the to the drasha or to the reading in your own world, you'll go. So it's not about social media will not will not take away from that. So I think I think that's really a uh, a, a non realistic concern that uh, because people have the option to use a, a virtual minyan or social media or you know these platforms, they will stop going to the synagogue. The, the, if there is a flaw, it's in the way it's in the way we we. Uh, conduct the tefillah in the synagogues, and this is a problem, by the way, it, in all in all communities. Most communities, uh, maybe except for you know the ultra orthodox, with the people like the Haredi, uh, have the problem that during the week the minyan is about ten percent uh, or fifteen percent the volume of the of the regular minyan. Okay, but that's 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 regarding the uh, the actual the problem of attendance, but. Um, the from the point of view of halacha, the argument was that halacha always speaks about davar shebekedusha, which is uh, either the kaddish or the kedusha or the amida, that must be recited when there are ten people uh, present, right? And that all ten must be in the same room. So this is this is a basic argument. Now, I showed in the, in the article that there are certain situations where people are not exactly in the same room. There are two such uh, situations. One is when um, one is when they uh, they speak about a someone who lives next to the synagogue and can when he opens his window and can see the people in the synagogue. In this case, they are not under the same roof by any stretch of the imagination, right? They are not under the same roof. Still, halacha says that he counts as the tenth for a kaddish. The other one is what is called al Sadeh, when people are in an open field, and let's say it could be in the cemetery, or workers in the field, literally farmers, and they need to, to, uh, to pray together. They can't all gather in one place, and they raise their voice, and they know that they hear each other. They're not under the same roof, they're not in the vicinity, still we count them together. So that shows that the problem, or the... the uh, the goal, what we want to achieve when we when we speak about uh, ten people gathering together to to be able to to have that concept of kedusha, and let's assume that the rabbis assessed that you need ten people for the divine presence to dwell there. Fine. The uh, so why do we need them all to be under one roof? Because that was the only way in antiquity to know that they're all on the same page. What other way is there, unless you see them all in one place, or, you know, the, the two exceptions, through the window or spread around the field, right? There's no way to, to coordinate a prayer where ten people pray together, even if all of us, right, right now we are on, on this virtual room, we are 16 people, right? Let's say we decide without, without the virtual room, without the Zoom, Let's decide that tomorrow at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, we're all going to say Kaddish. Can we count on us having a minyan? No, if we don't coordinate that. Because maybe someone fell asleep, maybe someone, you know, uh, had an emergency and a million other things. We don't know. So in antiquity, there was no other way to tell that 10 people are saying it simultaneously. The, 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 uh, actually, I would think, I would argue that the insistence 
of everybody being in the same physical space, in a way, I would say it's, 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 it's close to heresy. It's because we're taking away, we're diminishing the omnipotence and the omniscience of God. Kadosh Baruch Hu knows where everybody is at every given time and hears the prayers, right? Who needs to be under the same roof for the Kedusha to be? Not HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We need it because we can tell that we're doing it together. So by having this possibility of connecting through a virtual room, we are uh, now elevating ourselves closer to God. That's, that's the idea. Anyway, I brought it up seven, eight months ago, and I guess people thought it was not that necessary. Uh, I did argue that it's important not only for people who are lazy and don't want to go to the synagogue, but also people who cannot go to the synagogue, either because they're bedridden, uh, or they are caretakers for people who are bedridden, uh, people in military bases around the world, uh, doctors in the, in the ERs. I mean, there are a million situations where people don't have this uh, uh, luxury of being able to be at the shul and saying Kaddish at the time where people pray. As a matter of fact, the Mishnah Burua says that uh, if someone is going to uh, to lose money, even even a small amount of money, by not going, uh, by missing work, even for a couple of minutes by going to the synagogue, that's, that's called a Tzorich Gadol, and he can stay and pray at home. We just got used to a, a certain uh, lifestyle. We think everything is possible. Anyway, that was seven months ago, and now all of a sudden in the last, the last week, not God forbid, we don't want it to be under such circumstances, but here we hear about synagogues closing down, and people are discussing, okay, how are we going to, are we going to daven? Are we going to pray to say Kaddish and all that? And of course, Mikra Megillah is also a question that comes up. So, Rabbi Lau, the chief rabbi of Israel, said that, uh, uh, he said you have to hear Mikra Megillah directly. I, I don't know what he bases it on, meaning that if someone, when I say I don't know what he bases it on, is that I mean that uh, a reality such as ours never existed before. Right? You have to hear the voice of a person. It's our voice, which was transmitted through uh, um, electromagnetic waves. It's still our voice. The uh, the argument that this is not our voice because it's broke. It's, it was uh, translated into electromagnetic uh, uh, waves or pulses, and then retranslated into voice. I think it's a it's a bit of a stretch. In other probably in other situations, it would have counted. But the reality such as ours did not exist before, so it's hard to say what the rabbis would have said had they lived today. I believe that the, the rabbis who made a takana that you have to hear Mikra Megillah from a scroll would have said that in our situations, if you hear it through, the, uh, through a, a virtual reading, you're Yotzer Dehovah. And I think that's a good solution for places where, uh, where people cannot go to the synagogue because of restrictions. Things like that happened also uh, during uh, Sandy. I don't remember if, if the storm happened around, uh, uh, it, was be, it was in the summer actually, but still people wanted to come to the synagogue and were, uh, were stuck at home. So I think that is possible. Who knows, maybe by next week I will schedule and I'll ask people who are in different time zones to schedule a, a virtual Megillah reading where the, where the, where the Koreh 
reads from a kosher scroll and connects other people through Zoom, I think it's a good solution. Yes, uh, Yosef, you have, a, you have a question? Would it be the source? I, I know that there's a, a Mishnah in Shoshanah that talks about a shofar, Nabor, yeah. and hearing the echo. And, not, and I think I actually heard from you once that people misinterpret it and send yep. that microphones and such. So is it from the same source that we're getting the Megillah? Um, so... Um, the, the Mishnah in Roshanah is interesting. I heard this, I, I learned from my professor in Barilan, uh, himself, Barilan, Meir Barilan, uh, who studied Masechet Rosh Hashanah with, uh, again, in the, what I mentioned all the time, the seat in life, with its context, right, in, in the life of the of people uh, of the period. So in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, you have this very uh, strange Mishnah, Hatokia letoch habor, or letoch hadut, im kol shofar shama yatsa, if someone blows shofar into a into a pit or into a uh, uh, sort of a uh, underground, it's an underground uh, storing uh, vessel, which still exists, by the way, in Europe they found in several places or are still using it because it, the the ground is cooler, so uh, they the, dig into the ground and use it as storage places. Um, so. The most commentators explain that the the reason that you blow shofar into the bow or into the dut, into this uh, big vessel, whether it's underground or above the ground, is because of the sakana, because the 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 Greeks or the Romans forbade blowing shofar, and, and then you have to do it with with in the bow or the dut. But it doesn't make a lot of sense because. Uh, it, you have to be you have to be standing inside to do it. If you are in the outside, blowing inside, it will echo to the outside, and they will hear it even better. So, uh, and if you are inside, you will hear it as well. You know, it's uh, what do you mean if kol shofar shama yatsaim kol avara lo If your if your intention is to blow shofar, you will keep blowing until you hear shofar. You know what I mean? The 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 Mishnah says if you hear, if you heard shofar, you're good. But if you heard Staccato, like you know, like broken voices. You're not, you're not just a Jehovah. So, um, Professor Barilan explained based on other other sources and incantation bowls and all kind of uh, uh, artifacts from uh, from the time that. Uh, and I think what 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 a um, what was found was uh, uh, pieces of furniture or um, or vessels. That had writings and incantations on them to drive away evil spirits. So that makes sense if you think about the Mishnah as saying someone blows into shofar into the bull or into the dut to the to drive away away evil spirits and to grant blessing to bestow blessing upon the food that you store in those places. Right in this case, what you hear, you're not you're not even intending to hear shofar. Right, and it's not it's, it's, it has nothing to do with the echo. Uh, the 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 uh, the case that people usually uh, bring up when they want to when they want to speak about not hearing directly something is the great synagogue of Alexandria, where the Hazan was so big that the Hazan had to uh, raise flags for people to see uh, and hear Amen. I think that the uh, uh, that when you talk, when we talk about sound that is transmitted over large distances. We just uh, have to deal with the fact that there was nothing like that in the past. In the past, the way to transmit sound was through a maybe a, 
a, a basic uh, megaphone, you know, like without just a cone that amplified your voice but did not did not alter it. Um, and I think that from a from a scientific and halachic point of view, we could argue that the voice that you hear through the microphone, through a, you know uh, any other uh, medium, is is your own voice. It would be interesting to ask this question: What you know that uh, when we don't have a clear halachic uh, stand on it, we could look into the legal system, right? In the legal system, a recording is considered a, I mean, once it was done under, you know, within legal uh, um, uh, parameters, is valid as, as testimony. Like if someone was recorded self-incriminating, then uh, that would be accepted. Nobody could claim this is not uh, Mr. A talking, it's his voice on a recording, right? So I think that uh, just common sense tells us this is, this is your voice. The only problem would be if it's not bizman emet, if it's not in real time. But if we do it uh, online, uh, in, in real time, I don't think there is a problem there. When you don't have a minyan, you don't need a minyan for Kriyat Mikilah. Right. So why can it not be a, a, a pre-recorded something that you listen to? Oh, so that is also a possibility. So uh, because you don't need a minyan... I also suggested that, I mean, uh, preferably if you have a kosher megillah at home, but you don't know the ta'amim, so I recorded a, uh, uh, and I'm sure there are other, rec- plenty of recordings, I know there's a Moroccan one, there's a, I only offer two options, they're both Sephardi Rushalmi, one of them is 35 minutes long, one of them is 40 minutes long, so it depends on how, you know, maybe I should do one which is 15 minutes long, uh, but yeah, definitely you could do that, you could follow your megillah while listening to a recorded uh uh, to recorded Megillah. So, and I, so uh, that being said, I mean, hopefully, who knows, hopefully all the restrictions will be lifted by Monday, you know, as uh, all, everybody, everybody's, everybody's praying in the, at the Kotel in, uh, or maybe in, in quarantine for, for that, uh, you know. But interesting, what, the, what everybody's praying for is for the scientists to find a cure. So finally, we have to admit that, you know, just, Sitting and learning Torah all day long is not enough. We need the doctors, we need the scientists, right? Anyway, uh, not complaining. Um, the, I, I wanted to look at the Megillah, something interesting that which has to do with uh, with the reality that you know keeps evolving, and that is the uh, status of women in halacha. So uh, in Shulchan Aruch, in Chod Megillah. We read one second. That's uh, here. Um, so we see this. Siman Tafresh Peitet, sixty eighty nine, six hundred eighty nine. Says So he says, Hakol Hayavim Bikriata. Everybody is obligated to hear Megila. Anashim. Men, women, converts, and liberated or freed slaves. Um, and the Mishnah Bura explains why Nashim, even though reading Megillah is a time dependent mitzvah, they, they are obligated because they were part of that, the miracle. 
גם עליהם כדכתיב בקרא, because the gzera included them, מתחילה it doesn't mean that later it wasn't, I mean from the very beginning everybody was included in that decree. Uh, even though we, also, we could also say that it seems like the, that most of the rabbinic uh, mitzvot were, women were included, they found a way to, to include women, women as well. Uh, but the Mishnah Bura continues, ולכן צריך האיש לקרותה בביתו לפני הבתולות והמשרתות. And he says, therefore the men must read it at home for, the, for those who are not married. And for the servants who are Jewish, meaning that if a woman is married, her husband will call for her, will read it for her. And some places there is a custom for the women to go to the synagogue to hear the reading from Ezrat Nashim. But it's not clear how they fulfill their obligation. You can't really hear well in the Ezrat Nashim. So that's interesting, I think, because it, it tells us a little bit about the Ezrat Nashim in Europe, that was, uh, or at least where the Hafez Haim lived, that was, he's not talking about the noise that, uh, that comes from the men's section to the women's section, just the fact that it is separated. In many, in many places, the Ezrat Nashim was separated by, by a wall, so, and with little windows, you really couldn't hear much uh, the reading. Um, Uh, some people say let the woman say the bracha and then you read for her says no you should read the, the, the person who, 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 who reads he should do that uh, and the Bayer Etev in the Bayer Etev he adds Katan Motsi Nashim a minor meaning he's six, seven years old, and now he understands what the Megillah for, he could, uh, he could uh, uh, read the Megillah for a woman, and that will cover her obligation, and the minor could read for a minor, and the woman for a woman. All, all that shows us already from the commentary on this first uh, Saif, that women, apparently, cannot read the Megillah for men. But we'll have to continue with the Shohan Auch and see what, what happens there. Uh, so, We read here, Whether you read the Megillah or you heard someone reading it, you fulfill your obligation. But you must hear it from someone who himself is obligated to read. Therefore, if the reader is deaf or a minor or Shote uh, means like someone who is not intelligent. mentally ill. If you heard his Now there will be the Ateretz Kenim adds here, and that's that's important to know. Heresh Umori Katav Baba the Beit Hadash Rabbi Yosef Sirkis wrote Heresh lechatchila lo yatsa uvedi avad yatsa the person uh, ideally should not read it, but if he read it. Yetza. What are we talking about here? The, the, the status of the deaf uh, uh, in Halakha is very, uh, I would say, problematic. And we'll get back to it in a second. But I want to continue first with what happens with Nashim. Hashomer, uh, so it says, Ve'yesh omrim, Shehanashim 
אינם מוציאות את האנשים. Now that is very intriguing because we read in סעיף א', הכל חייבים בקריאתה, everybody is obligated to read מגילה, or to hear, men and women. And then, in סעיף ב', we read, אחד הקורא ואחד השומע מן הקריאה צעדי חובתו, if you heard someone else reading, you fulfilled your obligation, as long as the reader חייב בקריאתה. So, if we follow those two rules, women are obligated to read מגילה, and B, if you heard from someone who's obligated, you fulfilled your obligation, so that, that uh, brings us to the conclusion that if a woman read the מגילה for men, <coughs> She covers for them, right? But, he says here, ויש אומרים, ויש אומרים, שאנשים אינם מוציאות את האנשים. Right? Some people say that women cannot read for men. Uh, now, the commentators, one of the comments of Allah Shabbat says here, בחרש לכו לעלמה אין מוצאים את האחרים בקריאתם, a deaf person definitely does not cover for others, ובנשים יש אומרים שאינם מוציאות. ובכלל יש אומרים קיים על הנעיקר, and that we follow that יש אומרים as a car. So I'm stopping this sharing for a second, and I want to go back to the general concept that we spoke about in Halakha. Remember that we discussed in length the approach of the Shuhan Aruch So recap very, very quickly what is happening with the Shohan Aruch. When we look at Halachot like that, this is where it's confusing. Um, remember that the, uh, uh, the three pillars of, of Halacha that we rely on today are Rambam, Tur, and Shohan Aruch. But the Shohan Aruch himself referred to the Rif, Rabbi Yitzhak Al-Fasi, the Rambam, and the Tur. Um, but when we look at those three uh, authors, the Rambam, the Tur, and the Shohan Aruch, There's a very, uh, each one of them is his unique approach. And because of that unique approach, we could say that the work of Maimonides has not been accepted as a, a binding book of Halakha, and similarly, the book of Darbaturim was not accepted. The, uh, the problem with Rambam is that he presents only one Halakha for all, he's monolithic, he's, there's only one opinion, uh, there's no flexibility, there's no diversity. The problem with the Shuhan, the Tur, that he presents too many opinions on each halakha, four or five different opinions. And even if you choose one, uh, one opinion that you always want to follow, you will run into conflicts where in one chapter maybe you are more uh, in line with, with one author, and in another chapter you're more in line with another author. So the, the Rambam had one opinion only, the Tur had too many opinions, The Beit Yosef solved the, problems, the problem by uh, presenting more than one opinion, but not in a certain way and without names. Whereas the Tur would say, this is what the Rambam says, this is what my father says, this is what I say, this is what Rashi says. The, uh, the Shuhan Aruch says, some people say this, some people say that. Or this is Arachah, and some people say that. So here we have a classic case of Stam, Stam meaning a, uh, a neutral halakha without mentioning the author, without mentioning uh, status, and a, the second stage of yesh omrim, some people say. Now, 
if we don't know the rules of the Shohan Aruch, we would have said, based on logic, that the first segment is binding, and the second is the minority, right? If I tell you, for example, uh, you shouldn't play, um, students should not play outside during recess, but some say that they can, right? We understand logically that the rule that should be followed is the first one. Only some people say they are the exception. Um, and most of the uh, uh, most of the commentators agree that when the, the Shohan Aruch presents a Stam V'yashomrim, first a, uh, a general statement without without qualifications, and then Yeshomrim, some people say, Halachak Stam, we followed the first one. But here it's interesting, you see that the Olat Shabbat, the commentary here, says, say it, the Olat Shabbat, I will say you exactly who this is, Olat Shabbat is also uh, from Poland, commentary on the Shohan Aruch, uh, and he says, and this is the opinion that we follow. Why? Where from? We don't know. Maybe he brings a certain contradiction between the, the, the words of Shohan Aruch, but we don't have a clear indication that this is the halacha. That's what the, that's what the Shohan Aruch says. So we continue here with the, with the Shohan Aruch. Right? Um, so it says, some say that women cannot fulfill the obligation for men, and we look for the commentators to say, why is that so? Uh, here, I think it's the Bahri for the Bahri here. Here. Uh, so the Magen Avraham actually, Magen Avraham says, Velo dami lener Hanukkah. This uh, in the name of the Primagadim, this is not like Ne'er Hanukkah, where women could light candles for, for a man. Megillah is like reading the Torah. Perush, And therefore, even, even when she reads for herself, I mean, when she reads for one person, she cannot cover for him because Laplug, they did not they did not make a distinction. This is amazing <coughs> in a in a negative way. Because what we see here is that uh even in a place where women were included and the uh the halacha says that they are obligated and they should read, we see that there is a there's a, a tendency to push her away. Let's let's look more in more commentator in the Haga, the the Rama adds ve'yesh omrim imayisha korah le'atzma mevarechet ishmoa megila shena chayvet bekira that even if a woman reads for herself, she says lishmoa megila instead of likro megila, even if she is the reader, she says I am obligated to to hear not to read only that there is no one else to read for me, that so I'm making myself here shena chayvet bekira she's not obligated. Uh, uh, to hear Megillah. How can you say that she's, sorry, she's not obligated to read. How can you say that she's not obligated to read? 
the Magen Avraham says, this Viralan Kemandeyamar she'en motzi'ah anashim, because we hold that she is not, she cannot fulfill the obligation for men. You see, this is a, this is a circular argument. I'm going back now, uh, full screen, I can see everyone, and I want to discuss this for a second, because it's, uh, uh, the Ramah doesn't agree with Maran, uh, and we don't know who are the Yeshomrim, all the good questions, uh, the, we don't know exactly who are the Yeshomrim, the, 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 but this is this is what what is happening here. Look at the look at the process. Look at the evol- not evolution. It's a devolution of halacha here, right? Look what what happened. The the Mishnah says Nashim Hayavod Mikram Megillah Shafen Ayubot Anes. Women must. It says Hayavod BeMikram Megillah. More than Mikram Megillah to read the Megillah, not to hear the Megillah. The halacha says women must read Megillah. Why? Why are they obligated? Even though it's a time-dependent mitzvah, because they were part of the miracle. Thank you so much. And finally, women are included. They're also in danger. Oh, yes, and the miracle happened because of Esther. We forgot that. Okay, so it's called Megillat Esther, right? But still, okay. The only reason that we, we include them is because they were both taught it's fine. Good. Then you say... A rule. If you are obligated, you could represent others who are also obligated. But some people say that they don't. Now we take those, some people say that they don't, right? And we say, if, they will, if a woman cannot cover for a man, who can she read for? Right? If a woman cannot read for a man, that means that there's no such thing. That's what the halakha, you know, the, the halakhic logic is taking ours to. It says the, the concept of a reading of a woman doesn't exist. And therefore, she cannot say the bracha al mikra megillah, because there's no such thing for her to read the megillah. All she can do is hear the megillah. But why was it that we say that she cannot read the Megillah for men, because we say Mikra Megillah is like Hirata Torah. No, it's not. It only resembles. Remember the class that I did last week about analogies? I mean, those of you, I mean, in Yossi's house, we spoke about analogies. The, this is exactly this case. We make an analogy between Mikra Megillah and Kirata Torah. But how different they are. Think of the differences between Mikra Megillah and Kirat Torah. First of all, f- first difference <coughs> between the Torah and the Megillah, the Torah has Hashem names multiple times. The Megillah doesn't have that. The Megillah is two degrees below the Torah in terms of sanctity. This is what the, the rabbi said in the Talmud. The Torah was written through Nevoah. The, uh, the Nevi'im were written through HaKodesh. And uh, and the ketuvim, uh, the scripture, through a le- lesser level of Ruach Hakodesh. So that's the second. The diff- The other difference is you only read Torah beminyan, but you can read Megillah beyachid. The reason that you read Megillah in a gathering is because you usually don't have people who can read the Megillah that everybody's knowledgeable. But other than that, everyone could read at home. So no, Mikra Megillah is not like Mikra the Torah. Why are we saying that it's the same? Because they look alike. Because I take a, a scroll on which words are written, 
and I need to know the pronunciation, and there are, there's uh, the Teramim. But other than that, there's no similarity. Right? Uh, another difference, men are not obligated to hear me, uh, the Torah, except for maybe Zachor. Nobody's obligated. It's, it's a Takana. There's no Hiyuv. Even, we're not even clear if it's the Rabbanan, but the Megillah is, is, is an obligation. <clears throat> so this is a kind of analogy that is really intuitive and not logic. We're not drawing similarities between the laws and the details of the Halakha as it applies to Kriyat Torah and the Megillah, but rather we say they resemble each other. Similarly, I could have said that reading the Declaration of Independence Right? It's like Kriyat Torah because it's written by hand on scroll and it's a sacred text to some people. Right, So women cannot read it. Right, But it's not true because there are many women who are signed on the Declaration of Independence. Right? No? No, I'm kidding. That was, that was, a, that was a joke. That was a bad... Uh, yeah. I want to see if you... I want to see if everybody's listening. You're listening. Okay, good. Uh, yes. Something. It's not... Uh, so let's. But that's a good. The good point that uh, Yoshua brought up is the. Uh, is it deliberately against women? What is going on here? So first, yes, yes, there was a a tendency to to keep women away from the public sphere, from from the public realm in the synagogue. So because. Uh, because Kriyat Torah was associated with the public setting, they said that a woman cannot read, and then they extended it even to home to say, even though, and, and here's my problem with this kind of, cir- not circular argument, it's like, first we say, uh, can you do, you can do A, but you can't do B, and if you can't B, you can do B, you cannot do A, but I decided on that, it's, there's no, so, what happens here is they said, a woman cannot read the Torah. Why? Which we have to understand what it means, right? Okay. Now we say, Megillah is like Torah. And therefore, a woman cannot read Megillah also. Because of the uh, respect for the public. And now we say, since she cannot read in public, she cannot even read it to one person at home. Because Laplug, because the rabbi did not make a distinction. How can you say that it did not make a distinction when it is written in the rule? Lo tikraba Torah mipnei kvod hatzibul. It's written in the, in the rule that it's because of the public, meaning if it's not in public, there's not a problem. But you don't read Torah not in public, so it's not applicable. But Megillah, you do read in private, right? So. What is we have to understand what is the what is the definition of that concept of kivodat sibul and why why the rabbis of you know in Poland in the 16th 17th century decide to extend it to the home as well. So mipnei kivodat sibul. This is in Masechet Barachot in Masechet Megillah. It's mentioned that hakol olim leminyan shiva. Everybody is counted as one of the seven olim, minors and women, women and minors included. But why would a woman not uh, get an aliyah? So now, here's a, a common mistake that people make, that they mix today's reality with the reality of the past. Right? So when they talk about this Gemara, they say the Gemara says that the woman cannot get an aliyah. 
That's not what the Gemara says. The Gemara says, Isha lo tikra b'tzibur, a woman cannot read. So what was re- the reality of the past? When, uh, when the public Torah reading was established, the idea was that each person who goes up to the Torah reads his or her own portion. After a while, and it was a while, after a while, uh, after a while, the, uh, uh, the rabbis realized that some people cannot read. And I think that's something that we see even today. Uh, well, even people who prepare and, and are assigned a certain aliyah, and they read, they don't read it perfectly. Right? It's not an easy task. Okay. So what, uh, what was done as a solution, they appointed a shliach tzibur for the, the, what people call the layener or the koreh, the baal koreh, to represent the, the people who get aliyah. So you get an aliyah, and the reader reads for you. And, but that, that minhag ramified in, in different ways. So the, the general trends today are, the, are, are those. In the Yemenite community, in, in, most, in most Yemenite traditional communities, everyone is accepted, expected to read his own aliyah. So if you have seven, there's no such thing as a laner, as a reader. You are supposed, there's someone standing by you to correct you, usually quite aggressively, uh, and, and then you have to go and read your own part. And that's just sort of like, uh, I mean, now it's sort of like disappearing, but people are still uh, <clears throat> loyal to the Yemenite tradition, still do it. Actually, I once, uh, I once caught an imposter because of that. That was a, a really long time ago, maybe 30 years ago when I was a young, uh, no, it was 1996, 1998. Uh, I was a young rabbi in Colombia, and uh, every year a man would come, a Yemenite man, all dressed in white, giving blessing and, and, and mystical visions to the whole community. And people would give him a lot of money for that. And I felt that something is wrong with him. You know, growing up in Yerushalayim, I saw a lot of characters. So I gave him, a, I honored him with an aliyah. And when he went up to the Torah, I, I said, please read. And, and he refused. He says, no, no, you read. I said, no, you're Yemenite, you should read, that's your minhag. And he read, and he made horrible mistakes. Uh, so at the time, he was uh, probably in his mid-50s, so he was born in the 1940s. And I remember I told him, I never saw a Yemenite man your age who cannot read the Torah. And he got tremendously upset, started cursing and yelling and screaming. It turned out that he was really... Uh, no rabbi, no mystic, no mekubal. He had a he had a garage, a body shop in Israel, and then he figured out it's easier to go to communities outside Israel and be a mystic, you know, be a mekubal. So he dressed in white, grew up his beard, and went places and gave people blessings. Bought houses all over the you know all over the United States, and I I was able I, I found out that he's not because he was not able to read the Torah. Anyway, that's the Yemenite minhag. That's a poor story. I, I we, like he was in, in you know in disguise and we exposed him, but so the the Yemenite minhag is everyone each ole reads his own aliyah. The Ashkenazi minhag is we have a representative right a shalia for everyone, and even if you want to read your own, we don't let you because we don't want to embarrass those who cannot read. Uh, 
In the Sephardic world, it's in between. There is a Baal Koreh who prepares the whole parasha, but if someone comes up and says, I want to read my own Aliyah, you let him. So we have three options. Okay. So now, think about what, when the rabbi said, that statement was made when each person read his own Aliyah. Right? So why is it Kvodat Sibur? It's not about Kol Isha. Some people wanted to say it's Kol Isha. I know it's not Kol Isha because it's not singing. She's reading a sacred text. There's no singing there. Why is it Kvodat Sibur? Because Mr. Cohen went up and read his Aliyah and made a couple of mistakes. And Mr. Levy did the same thing with his Aliyah. And Shlishi did the same thing. And then Mrs. Uh, Levy, whatever, Mrs. Israel, right, goes up for the fourth Aliyah and she reads perfectly, and she nails it, and every word, every letter is there, and the Oive, like all the men are now sitting and saying, oh, and they say, we wish, you know, and I know that, because I've been, I was sitting in the shul when they interviewed a Maharat for the role of an assistant rabbi, and she was so brilliant, so learned, that some of the men there who were, who think that they know how to learn, came to me and said that they are ashamed that they did not achieve in their 60 years of life what she did in 35 years, right? But they said it in a sort of in a, in a, in a, in a humble way. But you can imagine what happens in the synagogue when, when you know, more women go up and they read better than the men. We don't want to hear that. So we push them aside. Kvodat Now, it's interesting that in uh, Elizabethan uh, England, Christian women were not allowed to read scriptures in front of men. Unless they are noble women and they read for their lesser servants. So the same concept of the, the Kvodat Sibul is not a question of uh, hearing a woman or anything like that, but rather knowledge gives you status. So for a woman to be more learned than men was a problem for them. So now we take it back to Megillah and we see the paradox that happens here. The uh, the, the Shohana says clearly, whoever, yes, I have a question. Wait, wait, so let me just finish this malach and, and then and then the question, okay? So, uh, and then, then the question. So, the uh, the Shohana says, if you're obligated, you could cover for others, but then he says, but some say people, women cannot read. Then the commentary says why they can't read because of the Tzibur, because Mikra Migila is like. And we proved that it's not the same because they've completely different halachot. But even, okay, let's say, you know what, you're right. Reading Megillah in public is like reading Torah in public and therefore a woman should not read in public. But at home, for her husband, for other people, in private, there's no tzibur, she should be able to read. No. How could you, how could we justify that? That lo plug, we did not make a distinction, is a very, very vague concept that deserves its own research. But I think that what, they, what they're trying to say here with the Lopluk is that Sibul now ceases to be that Sibul which is sitting in the synagogue at the time the woman gets an aliyah and listens to her. But rather, it's the whole Sibul. All, all Jewish men are offended when that one woman in one house, wherever she is, reads for her husband because now... She is superior to the, that collective uh, concept of men. So, to sum up, 
what we what we've seen when we went through today, just only one uh, one or two sentences in Shulchan Aruch, is how uh, the the halacha went from saying that women women must read Megillah to saying women must only hear Megillah because there's no such concept as reading Megillah for women to the extent that a new barakha was invented, that if a woman reads for herself, she says, I'm hearing myself as if to say, I'm not really reading because a woman cannot read. So to say, we really want to restore the crown, it's fitting because Esther was the queen, we should say women should read, should read at home, should read at gatherings, uh, well, to, to the synagogue, or there is still time for that in the Orthodox community, but definitely this is something that's written in the Shulchan Aruch. So, uh, yeah, Nahman, let's hear your question, and I'll conclude the, the recording of the podcast here, or I'll pause it for a second. Yeah. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.